0: Well, the sermon title there kind of uh, says it all. Righteousness, when it's wrong to be right. And so we're going to unpack that thought this morning. But let me start with a story, if I can. First, I have to find myself here. I twisted myself away. Um, Author Ed Dobson. And I knew him years ago. I went to Calvary Indiana, and Denham and listened to him preach. I mean, he was a phenomenal uh, preacher of the Word of God. He wrote a book one time called The Year of Living Like Jesus, <coughs> in which he tells the story in diary form of how he tried to live as Jesus lived and as Jesus taught for a year. On day 13 of month one, he records this story. He says, my wife and I drove to Key West and I decided to take a day off from reading. As I walked past a restaurant on Duval Street, a man who obviously, uh, who would, who'd obviously been drinking, called from the steps, hey, could you spare some change so I can get something to eat? I've heard that line a lot, and I know a number of responses. First, you can simply ignore such people. After all, he will most likely use whatever money you give him to buy more alcohol. And therefore, you'd be enabling his habit. Second, you can offer to take him to a restaurant to buy him something to eat. In most cases, the person will not go because he mainly wants the money to buy alcohol third you can point him to an organization that provides meals for the homeless many such organizations exist in most cities what did my wife and I do well we walked past the man without doing anything as we have done with so many other people over the years after all it's not our fault that he is where he is but after we walked on a little farther he called after us can you help a Vietnam vet My youngest son is a veteran and I deeply respect those who have served their country in that way. So I stopped, walked back to him, and gave him a dollar. At that moment, I remembered the words of Jesus, Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It's as simple as that. Give to the one who asks. He asked. I had an obligation to give. As I walked down the street, a wonderful peace came over me because I felt I'd actually obeyed one of Jesus' teachings. I knew he'd probably use it to buy more alcohol and that I probably hadn't helped him make the wisest choice. And I also knew that a dollar wasn't really going to help him, but I had no other choice. He asked and I was obligated. Still, what caused me to give him the money was not really my responsibility to follow Jesus, but the fact that he was a veteran. So after my initial euphoria, I realized I had done the Jesus thing for the wrong reasons. We are in this series of messages, this New Year's series, where we're talking about pursuit and chasing after the heart of God. And of course, uh, we've mentioned this, that the original man after God's own heart in Scripture is the one King Jesus. David. He was the man who chased after God's own heart. And so <clears throat> in this series we have talked about what does it look like if I chase after the heart of God? What if I live a life in pursuit of the heart of God? Uh, week one we talked about really abounding in hope. Week two we talked about being faithful. That was last Sunday and this morning I want to talk about understanding righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? And I think sometimes we maybe don't fully comprehend the idea of being Righteousness. What is righteousness? And I want us to consider this fact today that sometimes it is wrong to be right. Here's the big idea behind this message. And uh, this will kind of relate to what we've talked about in the past. You'll probably see this here. The Bible, it is not about choosing right over wrong or good over evil. It's about choosing life over death and walking in righteousness. If you can see the Bible in that way and understand the Bible is the life of Christ. And when you engage the Bible, it's not about making moral choices uh, and managing your life and doing the right thing over the wrong thing. Choosing good over evil. It's about choosing life over death. We're gonna see that so vividly today. In fact, this idea of life over death, really, we see it in the very first story of the Bible. So we're gonna start here this morning, the tale of two trees. We talk about them all the time. This morning, I want to give a little more context, a little more depth to the roots of these two trees that we find in the Garden of Eden and how significant they are to our life. Okay, so first there is the tree of life. The tree of life. And then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first question is, where is the tree of life located in the Garden of Eden? Well, we see here in Genesis 2.8, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. In the East, and there he put the man whom he had formed. and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So <clears throat> there in the middle of the garden is the tree of life. The midst means, back in the, the Hebrew, the intention is it's in the middle or the center of the garden. And so kind of you can kind of picture the whole garden revolving around the tree. Of life. Now, the second tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the tree, of course, we know that Adam and Eve were told to avoid. This was the tree that was off limits. And so, in Genesis chapter 3, in the process of the serpent tempting Eve to take some fruit from the tree, we find out where this tree is located because it says here, God. Uh, Eve responds to the serpent, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die so where is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it's in the middle of the garden isn't that phenomenal and they're both squarely there and this kinda plays into what I've illustrated for the last several years is that you have these two trees and right in the middle of the garden there is the tree of life you can freely eat from there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you need to avoid it at all costs and they're right there and there's two choices and these are the choices you and I live with every day which tree will I feast off of because we can as Christians we have the ability to feast off of either of those trees. the tree of life represents Christ It is living in the spirit. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents represents my flesh. It's living through my flesh, through my own self-effort, through my own power, through my own abilities. That is the big contrast. So let's start with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and get a little deeper into its roots. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. And we can't look at all the scriptures. And um, I got a a handout. I can make a copy if you want it of all the scriptures that are on your handout here Uh, that we're not gonna look at but here's the point (coughs) the tree of the knowledge of of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is symbolic of the law it represents the law just think about the law in Scripture and there is a great correlation between these two that I had never really considered before until recently and when you start to look into it it is pretty fascinating now consider this first of all Romans chapter 7 verse 12 speaking of God's law The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So God's law, the Ten Commandments, even that ceremonial law, everything that, God, everything that would encompass God's law, it's holy and righteous and good. In fact, the other nations of the world looked at Israel and said, who has laws like the people of Israel? Their laws were just, they just stood above everybody else's laws. They were just amazing compared to the rest of the world. So that is God's law. Well, think about this. Genesis 1 and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good in fact God can't make anything that's not good or perfect he can't and so what does that tell us about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil hey it's a good tree in fact the Bible tells us that Eve looked at it and desired it because it was it was a pretty tree it was an attractive tree it was an appealing tree it was a beautiful tree God's law is beautiful And that's tough for us to wrap our head around. I think the point I want to make here is that I think we can tend to look at the tree of life like it's this beautiful, great tree. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is this really dark and ugly tree. It's not. It's good and righteous and holy, but we need to avoid it. Why? Because if you eat of the fruit of that tree, you have to live by the fruit of that tree. And as we will go forward this morning, you'll see that you don't want to do that. So Genesis 3, 7 through 10. Here's 6 through 10. Here's what, what happens when Adam and Eve engaged the tree there in the garden. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to desire to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the lord god among the trees of the garden but the lord god called to the man and said to him where are you and he said i heard the sound of you in the garden and i was afraid because i was naked and i hid myself so look at some of these comparisons here the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they both resulted in fear Both result in fear. Adam and Eve ate of that fruit and they were afraid of God. The law strikes fear into our heart. How about this one? They both were forbidden. They were told not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's what it tells us about the law. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision or the law that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So if you want to live under grace, you have to avoid law it's forbidden laws forbidden for you and me today if we're gonna live under grace there's a difference there we'll see how that plays out they both brought a curse you can read that in scripture both of them brought a curse the world was cursed by the sin of Adam the law brings a curse they both make us aware of sin Adam and Eve didn't know what sin was until they ate the fruit of the tree and the Bible tells us Romans 7 7 if it had not been for the law I would not have known sin I know sin today when I, what, break the law. Do You see the, the comparison between these two. They both hurt our intimacy with God. Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree, and what they do? They hid from God. What does the law do? You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now, that doesn't mean that we're severed or disconnected positionally or eternally. Because we know from Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. But what what does it do? When I get back to living under law and legalism, it, it steals my intimacy with God. I'm not relying on Him. I'm not relying on His grace. I'm relying on my own works. They both bring condemnation and judgment. They both bring death. And they both cause sin to increase. Adam and Eve they had that one sin spread throughout the whole world. Bible tells us that where the law increased sin increased. So they both caused sin to increase. So just understand that 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 tree in the garden of Eden it was to be avoided. It is so much like The law, you have to understand the tree of the knowledge of good and evil along with the law is good and holy and righteous. But it is no way for you and I to live our life in relationship with Christ. That's never been the intention. It's not the avenue. We can't live true righteousness at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can't live true righteousness through the law. The tree of knowledge, like the law, does not lead to Christ's righteousness that we all long for, it leads to unrighteousness and self-righteousness because one of two things happens when you live under law. You either break the law, unrighteousness, or you get proud when you keep the law, which is self-righteousness. So a tale of two trees. First tree is the tree of law. We could also call it the tree of death. We'll look at that in a minute, how that tree tends to kill things. But here's the second tree, the tree of life, and that's Christ. The tree of life is Christ and when we feast at the tree of life we are feasting on Christ. We're living in the power of the Holy Spirit and living out the Christ life. In fact, um, and I don't think this is on the screen here but, but just think of this, Christ is the source of righteousness. If you want the joy of true righteousness it only comes through Christ, you'll never find it through the law. You'll never find it by living a moral life. Again, that'll either lead you to be unrighteous because you'll fail or self-righteous because you'll say, look how, look how right I am and look how morally superior, superior I am to everyone else. So the tree of, of life equals Christ. Now, true righteousness is only found in and through Christ. Now look what Jesus does for us when it comes to the law. Three things he does for us. First, Jesus raised the standard of the law. Jesus raised the standard of the law. So Jesus comes along and takes the very law and he raises the standard of that law. Uh, there's two examples in the Bible that we have in Matthew chapter 5, murder and adultery. Listen to this. <clears throat> Matthew five twenty-one. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But, I, Jesus, say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I, Jesus, say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus here is raising the standard of the law. Let me illustrate what this looks like. Everybody in the room, if you never murdered anybody, you can stand up. Okay? If you never murdered anybody, you can all stand up. You got to help me out here. So you got to stand up. You got to help me out here, right? (laughs) Or if it's too hard to stand up, well, we'll 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 let you out of this illustration. But so you're all standing up right now. Now, here's the thing: we're all going to sit down, but if you've never gotten mad at anybody or angry in your heart in an unrighteous way, then you can stay standing. But everybody else sit down, okay? But if you never got, never got mad at anybody in your life ever, then you can... <laughs> <laughs> well, you get the idea there, right? Yeah. And according to the law... I'm not a murderer. I haven't violated the law. Jesus comes along, redefines the law and says, you know what? You all violated the law. We could apply that to adultery and that whole lustful thing and all of us men would have to own up to that. Remember the the person that came to Jesus one time and said, what's the greatest commandment of all the commandments? And Jesus said, what? Well, there's two. He says, it's loving God most and putting others first. Well, how many of us love God most and put God first all the time? Well, he just raised the standard of the law to a standard that we all violate. Meaning that if you live over at the tree of the law and try to live and do the right thing, you're never gonna be righteous. You're never gonna, and you can never get yourself into heaven under those terms either. We need the righteousness that only comes through Christ. So he raised the standard of the law. Here's the second thing he did though. He fulfilled the spirit of the law. So here's the beautiful thing. Look, look at what he does in Romans chapter eight. There's another passage we could share, but we'll stick with this one. There is therefore now no condemnation to all of you who have been angry and are guilty of murdering somebody according to the law of Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requir- righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to this flesh but according to the spirit so Jesus comes along and he fulfills the spirit of the law but it's better than that where does he fulfill the spirit of the law where in us. How cool is that? When I feast over here at the He fulfills the spirit of the law in me. And now it's just as if I've never gotten angry at anybody or had a lustful thought or done anything wrong. It's like I always love God most and put others first. That's what it's, I mean it's not, but, but it is through the righteousness of Christ. So he, he raises the standard of the law and then he fulfills the spirit of the of the law and i go from self-righteousness and unrighteousness to christ righteousness now here's the third thing he does watch this jesus demonstrated the reality of the law jesus demonstrated the reality of the law he shows us what righteousness looks like in real time kind of like our bible st- or our sunday school class right now we're looking at what it looked like for Jesus to live as a human in our world and so he shows us what does righteousness look like in real time he shows us through the backdrop of the gospel and through the cross what righteousness really looks like in a human life in real time there's a principle i've shared it before jesus so beautifully exemplifies this for us but it's this jesus surrendered his rights At the cross, he really surrendered his rights, his right to be worshipped, his right to be understood, his right to be king, his right to be heard, his right to be first, his right to be glorified, his right to be defended, his right to be sinless. We know from 2 Corinthians, for our sake, he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? Who knows what it is? The righteousness of God. How amazing is that? And so he demonstrated in real time the reality of the law, what it looks like to live out the spirit of the law, the higher standard law, the law of righteousness. And so what I want to do in the remainder of our time is what does it look like in your life and my life if I'm going to live in the reality of this righteousness in real time, what does it look like? What does righteousness in real time look like in my life? What if I were to pursue a life of righteousness? What if I chased after the heart of God and I went beyond just trying to be right and wrong, but I pursued actually the reality of, a, 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 of life over death, not just right over wrong. See, it's one thing to talk about righteousness, to define it in the Bible. It's another thing to know what it looks like in our everyday life. So righteousness is the call to surrender our rights. Righteousness is the call to surrender our rights. What does this look like? And why is it important? Why is righteousness so important? Let me tell you why it's important. You know what righteousness looks like? You know what, it's like this umbrella and under this umbrella of righteousness there are things like, for instance, humility and grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. When I live a righteous life, when I live in the righteousness of Christ, it shows up in my life like I'm a humble person. I give grace and I give mercy and I give forgiveness and I know how to love like Jesus loved. That's the real reality. We can concern ourselves with right versus wrong or we can live to that higher standard which is really life versus death. And sometimes we see that it's even wrong to be right. There's a proverb I want to apply here. I love this proverb. I grew up knowing this proverb. It was one of those proverbs you learned when you wanted to to share the gospel. Okay? And uh, it's Proverbs 14, 12. And this this is the kind of proverb we all have to know we're talking here about the tree of life versus the tree of death and that's what we're living out here And Proverbs 14 12 there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death and we understand that when it comes to our salvation right there's a way that seems right I just do more good works than bad I work really hard and if I work hard enough and do enough good deeds to outweigh my bad deeds one day God will let me into heaven Lucille does that work I know, sorry. (laughs) You were looking at me like, I'll just put the oldest person here on the spot, our oldest member. But, you know, of course it doesn't work. That's a rhetorical question. You can never do enough good deeds to earn your salvation. Never. You can never. You'll either be what? If you live at the tree of law, unrighteous, you'll break the law or be self-righteous and proud of how well you've done. Proverbs 14, 12, we apply it to the gospel. But here's the thing. It applies to so much more there are so many areas of our life where it seems like the right thing to do but it will end in death for instance live your relationships at the tree of knowledge and they may not appear dead but it will lead it will lead to death in some way maybe the relationship will die maybe an individual will die maybe the intimacy or joy in the relationship will die death will set in somewhere and in some ways When we do what we think is right instead of what is righteous. Handle your finances at the tree of knowledge and it'll end in death. You might end up going bankrupt. That could happen. Or maybe not. Maybe you'll become really wealthy and all your finances will steal your joy and you'll be unhappy in life. Death always works its way in when you live at the tree of self-righteousness or unrighteousness. That always kills something. When you live at the tree of life though, the tree marked by true righteousness, you found life. And here's the great news, there are people that spend their whole life living at the tree of law and the tree of knowledge and the tree of death and they kill all kinds of things in their life. And you know what? They get saved, they come to Christ, they come to the tree of life and you know what, 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 what Jesus is? He's the resurrection in life and he resurrects their marriages and their relationships. He resurrects their finances. He resurrects their joy. He resurrects their hope. It's amazing. God has the power to do that. You just get to the right tree and start feasting off the right tree and he will raise a dead marriage, a dead passion, a dead spirit, a dead joy. He can do all of that. He can bring them back to life. So righteousness in real time, let's look at it. And again, why is it so important? Because it encompasses humility, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love, among other things. One passage we're gonna look at here. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 Uh, examples of righteousness in action here. And uh, I didn't put this on the screen, so I'll read it to you here. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter verse 4 love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful it does not keep a record of wrongs it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but, re- but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things and endures all things righteousness in real time here's what it looks like five quick examples it's extending grace over holding a grudge It's simply extending grace over holding a grudge. It's simple. You can't live at the tree of life if you have a grudge. You just can't. If you have a grudge, you're living at the tree of the knowledge of good. You're living at the tree of the law, and someone has violated the law in your life, and you are holding a grudge. That's the simple reality. A grudge will prove what tree you're living at because a grudge means somebody did something wrong to you and you're focused on that wrong they did to you. Righteousness in real time. It's extending grace over holding a grudge. Love is patient and kind. It keeps no account, no record of wrongs. So on one hand, we have the sense where we're holding this wrong against them on the other hand we're forgiving them we're extending grace to them what is grace again grace is undeserved favor grace is this undeserved favor grace is not right it is not a right it is righteousness grace appeals to this higher standard now the truth is a grudge can feel right a grudge can feel good but a grudge will always kill it will it will kill It'll kill the relationship. It'll kill the joy. It'll kill you slowly from the inside out. It'll kill your intimacy with Christ. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. There's a reason we're told not to let our anger simmer like a crock pot overnight because it'll just turn into bitterness, into a grudge. It'll just take over our life. It'll be destructive. We never want to give the devil a foothold. Heard a great thing this week in regards to sin, like anger, anything in particular, is what you want to be careful of is that what starts out as a toehold can become a foothold. It can lead to a chokehold and turn into a stronghold in your life. So you want to really, don't give the devil an opportunity to take that little thing and turn it into a grudge that rules your life extend grace rather than hold a grudge righteousness in real time what does it look like <clears throat> looks like resolving <clears throat> excuse me resolving a disagreement over winning an argument love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude any relationship is going to be faced with this issue we'll be faced with disagreements and with arguments they're going to come up Now, the thing is, arguments are not always wrong. Sometimes we resolve an issue by arguing it out, or maybe I should say by discussing it passionately. (laughs) Maybe that's a better term than arguing. We're going to discuss this passionately. (coughs) The thing is, arguments, (coughs) (coughs) excuse me, the thing is, arguments in and of themselves are not always wrong. The real issue here is what is the goal? of said argument are you arguing to be right or are you arguing to resolve an issue and strengthen the relationship verse 6 says love rejoices with the truth thank you jan love rejoices with the truth now we could read that and say well we need to argue until the truth wins out or we could read that and say we need to argue until the relationship wins out and the truth is is that most of the time the relationship is more important than the argument most of the time the relationship is more valuable than that argument and so it's not that I argue until I'm proven right and you're proven wrong. It's not that I argue to the point of, it's, it's that I argue to the point of resolution. And that I don't argue so long that I kill something. Because I can argue so long I kill something. I kill my spouse's spirit or I count, kill my friend's trust or I kill a relationship just totally. That's the key. Arguing might seem like the right thing to do. Being proven right might seem like the best thing to do. But it's not the righteous thing to do, and it can result in death. I need to surrender my right to be right in order to be righteous. Now, and Trisha's over there saying, well, you argue all the time. You know, here, here's, the, here's the thing. Our family, we like to argue. So, you, we, you know, all, my family, whether it's politics or Bible theology or the latest conspiracy theory, we love to argue. Now, I'll be honest we're not really killing anything in those arguments they're kind of fun but here's the thing when that's kind of in your DNA to argue you got to watch you don't transfer that to your other relationships and that you don't get into things and and begin to defend and argue and and not care enough about the relationship that's the truth love the second Timothy 2 so flee youthful passions and pursue what pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. And even in the church, Paul dealt with it, and you can read more of this context here, but Paul basically says in the church, just watch you, don't argue, and and let arguments take over. They're never, never, never healthy. So pursuing righteousness can help end The argument Uh, righteousness in real time what does it look like it looks like pursuing reconciliation over exacting revenge love is patient and kind it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth now this is seeking peace over getting even now most of you are probably thinking to yourself well okay every now and then I might hold a grudge but I'm not a revengeful person I'm not that vicious I don't go out and get and seek revenge on people Well, it depends on, here's the key, how do you define revenge? Okay, how do you define revenge? Revenge can be a vicious act of retaliation, of getting justice. Revenge can be that. But you know what revenge can also be? Revenge can also be that I hurt you because you hurt me, and I hurt you not to just get even, but so that you will know how it feels to be hurt. Sometimes our revenge is that subtle, it's, It's that, it's just that, that's soft. You need to know how badly I was hurt. You need to know how deeply I feel hurt. And so I'm gonna hurt you so you know how you hurt me. Might not be terribly vicious, but it can still be a subtle form of revenge or getting evil. The thing is love and by extension righteousness does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Never rejoice in wrongdoing. Any wrongdoing, even the wrongdoing that seems justified, even the wrongdoing that feels right, we need to avoid it. Romans 12, Paul says, repay no one evil for evil. Don't trade one hurt for another but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The next one ties in, righteousness in real time. This next one ties in then, because this one is speaking the truth in love versus speaking the truth in anger. Speaking the truth in love versus speaking the truth in anger. Okay, so the issue here, the tie-in here, is that revenge sometimes, all I want in my revenge is I want you to know that you hurt me. So I hurt you and say, see what it feels like to be hurt. See what it feels like to be disrespected. And I want you to know how I felt. Well, the reality is, the Bible tells us there's a better way to communicate your hurt. There's a better way to communicate your hurt. What is that? It's speaking the truth in love not in anger or in retaliation. That's the truth. Back there, 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 3, I gain nothing. Whatever I say, if there's not love behind it, I don't gain nothing. I don't do anything to help the relationship at all. Not one thing. Even if it is the truth, even if I am right, when expressed without love, I gain nothing. So I need to learn and know how to express the truth, how to speak the truth in love. One of the things this does is this takes the realm of my conversations and my relationships to that higher standard. Because when I I am talking, if I am speaking through this idea of righteousness and this higher standard, then I'm speaking not just to communicate a hurt that I have, I'm speaking for your benefit I'm saying what needs to be said so it can be beneficial to you that's the reality righteousness is all about the truth but it is about speaking the truth so that it benefits the other person and not just me it's putting the other person first and speaking to benefit and build them up I can say I have the right to be heard. I can say I have the right to speak my mind. I can say I have the right to be understood. But I am called away from the tree that seeks out my rights. And I am called to surrender my rights for what is righteous. That's the truth. Ephesians 4, therefore having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear hear, or that it may benefit those who listen. Speaking the truth in love speaks for the benefit of others. Now a point of clarity here. Sometimes it is to the other person's benefit when I am honest with, with my feelings and I don't just stuff them inside. It, it's never good to stuff your feelings inside for, you know, five years and then one day blow up. That's not to the benefit of the other person. Sometimes it is mutually beneficial to share and express your feelings in love and not in anger. Righteousness in real time. Here's the last one. It is being understanding versus being offended. Being understanding versus being offended. Love is patient and kind. It it does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. When we talk about surrendering our rights, this is a huge one. One of the rights I think we all need to surrender more often is our right to be offended. And we can be offended very easily. And so we need to learn how to not be offended. Don't be a snowflake in a world of snowflakes, okay? That's the reality. I I think you can can probably see this maybe at your job or at work. This is a common place for this to show up. Someone at work thinks they're not being treated fairly. They'll get offended. They'll get really hurt. And they're going to find a way to let somebody else know subtly, I don't feel like I'm being treated fairly and I'm being hurt. And they can be offended i see this all the time there's another principle here i've shared before and it's simply uh this so i didn't put it on the thing but we are not better than we are other than always remember that as as christians we're not better than anybody we can live at the tree of flesh we can live at the tree of law we can live over here at the tree of self-righteousness or unrighteousness like anybody else And we're not better than, but we are other than. We have the opportunity, we have the ability, we have the freedom in Christ to live at the tree of life. To live through Christ. And Christ can be like this filter in our life so that when we are offended, those offenses come through this filter and I respond like Christ would, not just like I would in my flesh. And part of the way Christ responds is by being understanding. He asks some of those deeper questions that come up. We need to learn to ask questions more often like why did you hurt or offend me did i hurt you is this a subtle form of revenge are you expressing your hurt back towards me and even if this was intentional then why are you hurting why are you scared why are you upset verse 7 in first corinthians love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things the righteousness that surrenders our rights easily looks beyond the offense and seeks to understand the offending person, the, the person that offended me. Okay, what's going on in their life? Did they hurt me because they are hurting? It's exactly what Christ did at the cross. The cross was a righteous act. We're at the cross. Christ took our sins in his body on the tree, but he also tried to understand what we're feeling. He underst- tried to understand what it's like to be you and I, to live in our circumstance, to live in our world. What is it like to live with sin? He never had sin. He didn't know what sin was like. He bore sin in his body. And, And part of that was his ability to know what sin feels like. What does it feel like to be offended? What does it feel like to be hurt? He's always trying to understand us a little better. That's the reality. He didn't revile when reviled. He didn't retaliate. He didn't strike back. He didn't even defend himself. He bore our sins in his body on the tree and he tried to understand what is it like? What is it like to be caught up in the brokenness of sin? So, righteousness in real time. Just a quick recap. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick one of these five today and say, this is something that I can work on in my own relationships. This is the one that jumps out at me that I can be more righteous in my relationships. Extending grace over holding a grudge. Real simple there. Number two, resolving a disagreement over winning an argument. Can you work more on your arguing and try to be more of a resolving person? How about pursuing reconciliation over exacting revenge? And Maybe your revenge isn't the vicious, I gotta get justice kind, it's the, I'm hurting. I want you to feel what my hurt looks like. Four is speaking the truth in love versus speaking the truth in anger. Maybe you need to do a better job of just communicating in love what you're feeling in your heart and in your life. And finally, being understanding versus being offended. Can you work more? That's something we can all work on, right? We all get offended. When I'm offended, to stop and say, why am I offended, but why do they offend me? What is it that they're going through that caused them to offend me? One last thing before we leave here today. Let me just say this. The key to righteousness is living at the tree of life. It is. But the reality is not everybody can live at the tree of life. You can't just come to the tree of Christ and feast here. There's only one way you can come to the tree of Christ and feast there. And that is you have to be right with God. You have to be right with God. You have to be redeemed by the blood of Christ and reconciled by the grace of God. You just have to be. You have to receive his forgiveness. And so there's these, these, uh, just say it this way, responding to the gospel, admitting, we need to admit that we are sinners. We need to admit that we uh, lived at the tree of the law and that we broke the law and that we've been unrighteous and we've been self-righteous. We need to admit our sin. And then we need to admit that Jesus Christ is holy. Believe that Jesus Christ is God, came to this world, died on the cross for our sins, for our wrongdoings, took our place on that cross. Believe that he will give us his grace. He will give us his righteousness. If we just say, I want it, he'll give it to us. He'll give us his forgiveness, he'll give us his righteousness, and then see, just confess, just say, yes, I want it. I want. life of christ i want your righteousness i i want your forgiveness I, i want the freedom to go to the tree of life and feast every day so i can know what true righteousness in christ really 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 is the other questions take them home today work them through in your own mind look through those list of verses those other those verses we didn't look at look at the comparison between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and how it is so much like the law, and how it, is, it just kills things. But in Christ, in Christ, everything comes alive. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your invitation. Thank you for the righteousness that you give to us, the righteousness that produces uh, a grace and mercy and forgiveness and humility, but also joy and peace. All of that is a part of your, when we are right with you, Those are the things we can live in every day and when we live at the tree of life and feast over here, we are filled with your righteousness. We we can live out your righteousness and that's when we know joy and purpose and peace and hope. Help us be individuals, Lord, that will pursue with every uh, iota of who we are, pursue passionately to be people of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.